Plasm Advent Calendar, Day 6, Aberat by Clive Barker. Well, the books of Aberat, of which there are supposedly eventually going to be five, but um, there's only been three published so far, and they seem to have been published a you know, good eight years apart, because Barker has other projects as well, which is a strange proposition because they're young adult books, but they're obviously, if you're... Um, if your publishing schedule is going to exceed the um, the length of time it takes to, for a young adult to become an adult, then you're not really going to build a fandom in the right way. Um, but who knows? I mean, they're, they're still really interesting. Now, I, I've done um, different entries in the advent calendar for various reasons, some of which have been, oh, I, I had the notes lying around. Um, this is a case of I've had the books lying around for goodness knows how long. And... Um, I haven't even got around to reading the second one yet, and I'll need to reread the first one at this rate, uh, just to remind myself what's going on. So um, I am going to dive into them eventually. I'm not sure they're going to make a full Fixed Plasm episode anyway, because I already covered Imagica over three episodes, and that was pretty epic. If you listen to that, well, you know, I appreciate it, because it's a bit of a slog, um, despite there being a lot of really good stuff in Imagica. But, um, okay, what can I say about Aberat? It is a Clive Barker fantasy. In a lot of ways, Clive Barker's fantasy is, is one of my main touchstones for, you know, urban fantasy and what we call primary world fantasy that impinges on a magical world. And I talked a lot about primary world fantasy at the end of the Frank Frankenstein's RPG podcast, most recent episode. I don't know if Dave kept it in there. Primary world fantasy is a fantasy that is set in our world. Secondary world fantasy is a wholly invented world, like, uh, you know, Middle Earth. Um, and sometimes the terms low and high fantasy are used for those respectively. So anything that's a, quote, low fantasy is going to be a primary world fantasy, whereas anything that is in another invented world is going to be a, quote, high fantasy. Except that's not really how we take the uh, the demarcation to be in terms of low and high fantasy these days. Well, low fantasy tends to be sort of very much street-level, grim and gritty, very, very close to the uh, point-of-view character, um, living by the seat of one's pants, etc. Uh, you know, typical sword and sorcery stuff, like uh, particularly um, Fritz Lieber's Fethard and Grey Mouser series, whereas high fantasy is the sort of has geographical and uh, timeline implications, massive magical schemes that go on for long periods of time, uh, legend and prophecy and all of that stuff. So right there with Tolkien and others. And that's why I use the phrase primary world fantasy as opposed to low fantasy, because that's just going to be confusing. Um, so Barker's fantasies are primary world fantasies. They're set in our real world and they are about magical people who touch upon the magical side of the world. You know, this. You know, they, they walk in the liminal space that... Uh, touches upon the real world with ordinary mundane concerns and the magical world that they walk in. And um, Aberat's pretty much the same. So I wouldn't want to do a, a massive analysis on it um, because that's probably going to retread a lot of uh, Imagica and isn't going to be quite so useful. But there are a couple of things to pick out. The first one is the art. So um, if you are going to seek out the books of Aberat, you should try and get the hardcovers. 
because those have all of Barker's art in and they're really heavy actually they've got very very thick paper stock that's lovely and glossy and um, the uh, Clive Barks unique oil paintings are used to illustrate them throughout and they give a very consistent tone to the book now this role of art in um, in fantasy games I guess I I start to become more interested in it when I started to be obsessed with the game Everway, which of course is a has um, a very very heavy use of art through the vision cards and also through the fortune deck. Uh, and I've got an ongoing project called um, the Grand Tableau, which is kind of like Everway in that, it, but it uses Lenormand cards, but it, it's the same sort of thing that uses the images on the cards to actually be part of a table artifact and I'm, I'm sure you know every role play is going to agree that art is a massive part of a role playing game it sets the tone it sets the expectations and uh, the art in Aberat is no different so I would imagine that if you wanted to play a game in a Barker-esque world using Barker's art would be pretty important now it's worth noting that um, there's an Imagica card game collectible card game which um, I don't think it went anywhere. I've got um, a couple of starter sets somewhere, and um, they are all beautiful, and they have a, a particular tone, most of which looks like a sort of... with a range of art styles, uh, from collage to sort of uh, interesting fantasy paintings, but all of them give you a sense of uh, sort of... these are magical places that you're seeing on the cards. And I believe some of those Imagica collectible cards used Barker's artwork itself. Okay, so that's one thing about Aberat that's interesting. The other one is its USP, which, um, well, obviously it's a, it is a world where our protagonist is transported to another world, a parallel world, where there is magic and, and uh, weird alien-looking people um, who form the, you know, the various tribes and individuals that um, are point of view character her name is Candy Quackenbush um, who, she, who she interacts with but you know there are many different ways that you can do an invented world the thing that Barker has done with Aberat with the islands of the Aberat or the hours of the Aberat is uh, he's made it um, a, a, a sequence of 25 islands to represent each hour of the day and uh, I think that that is kind of a genius move in terms of in terms of giving the reader something to sort of um, some parameters in which in which to sort of imagine what the world might be like and so as a reader you, you read that, um, you know, Candy turns up and says, well, where am I? Oh, the Aberat. And what, what is that? Well, it's a series of 25 islands and each represents the hour of the day. That immediately leads you to, you know, it, it provides you with a sort of a, the scope of what you imagine the world to be before you've encountered it. Um, another thing I talked about in, um, in the Frankenstein's RPG podcast was um, how I like emergent setting and the idea that you, know, you start with a very small setting and people go out and explore it and what matters is where you are right then and there not all of the other things about the game world 
that um, your character probably doesn't even know and are irrelevant to your situation. It doesn't matter that you've got you know hundreds of years of history in various adjoining um, countries surrounding yours if you don't actually know what those are and if they don't have any direct bearing on the plot. So uh, I, I kind of think that setting very you know very simple parameters to say the world fits into this kind of shape but then otherwise not explaining what it's about but um but having a sort of a, a relatable shape to talk about it means that the players or readers or whatever can imagine that you know that they can anticipate what it might be like to explore this world before they've even done so and that i think is uh really quite important it is important to be able to envisage where your character might go crucially it's important to envisage where they might go without demanding that they go there but also and more importantly without demanding that they know a lot about the world that they are going to start exploring so yeah so the the, fr the framing of this archipelago of 25 islands I think is is actually a really interesting technique for world building. Um, plus, I, I also really like archipelagos. I mean, I'm sort of a massive fan of um, Christopher Priest's Dream Archipelago, and mostly that's because you can have a, you know a continuous expanse of space or sea or whatever with little islands dotted, which aren't influenced too much by each other, so they can all be their own individual thing. And so, yeah, I'm a fan of archipelagos as well, but mostly it's the sort of uh, that that sort of framing that um, I think is uh, is something to learn from Abarat. Um And I'll get around to reading it at some point. Um, I just picked it up today and just re reminded myself of why I, I hoarded them in the first place. But unfortunately, even though the, the third book, Absolute Midnight, was published something like 2012, um, and the fourth book, Cry Rising, is it's supposedly done and the art's done and, and there seems to have been several message board posts saying, oh, it'll be out uh, 20, 2019 or 2020 or 2021, um, still yet to emerge. So fingers crossed it sees the light of day because I think that it will be, uh, well, there'll be nothing like it because of the combination of Barker's words and his art. Anyway... Um, I think I'm going to stop rambling there, and I'll open uh, day six. So let's just get that. Okay. Oh, oh, that's a, it's a tiny little blue stone flecked with gold and turquoise. I wonder what it does. I'll play with that later. Anyway, thank you for listening, uh, and speak to you in the next one. Bye-bye. Fictoplasm Podcast. Words by Ralph Lovegrove. Music by Chris Zabriskie. Find out more at fictoplasm.net. Mm -hmm.